0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay
2: with me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Very good, Nick. Looking forward to getting stuck into a few more topics before our preview series. It's going to be kicking off very, very soon.
1: Yeah, season is right around the corner. Things are heating up a little bit. As always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn BrooklynBuzzPod. But Jack, where do we start?
2: We're well, going to start with just a quick sad note. Nick Nets super fan, Mrs. Whammy Judy Resnick, unfortunately passed away at the age of eighty-seven. The Nets posted. Doug Barrick uh, also did a really nice post on his timeline. A uh, big, massive super fan. Make sure you're following him. He uh, and the Nets wrote this: We are deeply saddened to learn the passing of Judy Resnick, affectionately known to many uh, to so many as mrs whammy our heartfelt condolences go to her husband bruce and the entire Resnick family her memory will live on in the hearts of all who knew and loved her now she's just a great representation a great ambassador for brooklyn nets basketball 100
1: agree sad news obviously uh known for the pitcher mr and mrs whammy with dropping the new nets jersey uh that was pretty cool and you know, as everyone knows, you know, if you've been going to Nets games since New Jersey, you know, you've been seeing them there. So, really sad news. Nice to see the Nets, you know, show some some respect.
2: And we pay respect to her and all Nets fans on this podcast. And we, we send our condolences to all her family, to Bruce and, and everyone involved. But um, we'll move forward, Nick. And unfortunately, we can't, there's no really great segue to move forward from that. But the base report is back yet again. It's finding a way in every single podcast, Nick. But there was a, some chatter on the Zach Lowe podcast, which I thought was worth bringing up, and also Mark Spears was was on NBA Today as well. So Zach Lowe's key question for Ben Simmons. This is all he had. He sl- he was just saying, "Are you afraid to get fouled?" For the note for for those playing along at home, Ben Simmons shot uh, under forty four percent on one point four free at- free throw attempts last season. But Mark Spears also said that there was this swag that I saw in Ben Simmons, like when he got out of LSU, this was vintage Ben. So uh, the BS report is back. Nick, where do you want to tackle it?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the question by Zach Lowe is something we've discussed, you know, this year, last year, and I think it's been discussed with Ben over the course of the last couple seasons. You know, he's been timid when it's come to drawing contact and getting to the free throw line, obviously, very known moment against the Hawks in that playoff series where he elected to pass the ball instead of going up for the layup or dunk. And, you know, that's going to be a hurdle for him because he's not an outside shooter. He doesn't have this, you know, versatile offensive game. You know, he needs to get to the rim to be a threat offensively in terms of scoring, and it really opens up his passing. So that's a huge factor for him going into the season.
2: It really is. It's just going to be the key driver from him being, you know, an all-star to being like – yeah, you know, he can be an average semi productive player if he's not getting to the free throw line. But if he's getting five free throw attempts a game, Ben is back. That's the yep. number like, you know, Zach Lowe knows as much about basketball as, as any out there, but, you know, we've sort of talked about the mentality, the confidence, the aggression, those intangible things that will lead to those those free throw attempts. And Mark Spears saying he's got his swagger back. Well, it just seems like, to me, Mark Spears is, is a little bit of a mouthpiece for Ben Simmons and his agency. So I, I, I read into that a little bit, but it's sort of like when Rose reports on stuff via the Nets, it's coming straight from Sean Marks. This is coming straight from Ben's camp. There's not really like the semblance of balance to both sides. You know, he's only doing two on twos. Hopefully, he's at three on threes now that he's back in the city. But you know, he's got the swagger back. Cool. You know, that might relate to the sort of mentality question that we discussed on our BS report series. Make sure you guys go check that out—a really in-depth sort of look at Ben Simmons going forward and previously. But yeah, I think that it's a, a little bit noisy and probably don't need to really read into it too much. The the Mark Spears quote.
1: Yeah, I think we heard the same stuff before the Boston Celtics playoff series, you know, two seasons ago, you know, Ben's walk around confidence like he's Michael Jordan was a quote that came out of Nets practice. So, and he even talked about different things and, you know, him throwing down a dunk when the media was there trying to kind of hype himself up a little bit back again, back in that season when Katie and Kyrie were still on the team. But again, like we've talked about, it's, you know, show us on the court. You can say all the right things. You can be confident, but it doesn't matter if you're not producing.
2: No, that's it. At the end of the day, and the best report brought to you today by Zach Lowe and Mark Spears <laughs> of ESPN, but we'll move forward to Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick, and there's been many rumblings around here and there around Spencer Dinwiddie's contracts, contractual status with the Nets, so Ian Begley, I think also the New York Post, you know, Brian Lewis have been speaking about this. Said It says here, Spencer Dewey is eligible for an extension later this offseason. Per, per people familiar with the matter, there is support within the Nets to add years onto Dimwitty's deal via an extension. Is there support from Nick Faye to add years onto Dimwitty's deal? Like any
1: contract, it always depends on the numbers. And I think, you know, there's not an issue necessarily with extending Spencer Dinwiddie, especially if you're not able to, you know, add another guard. He's a nice, you know, safety net to have, and he's a a solid player. And, you know, he's not a guy that can be a one, two, three option on a championship team, but he could definitely be a six man. So if you, you know, keep Spencer and you add a star point guard in the summer, you know, you could see him fitting in well, you know, you could see a role for him, on a team, you know, as a different piece. So I'm not opposed to it. I think it just matters on the number. And again, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean Spencer's in Brooklyn long-term. They could potentially trade him as well. You know, it just kind of prevents him from being an unrestricted free agent and walking in free agency for nothing.
2: Yeah, I think that, as you alluded to, there's a way that the Nets could do this to make it advantageous for themselves. Obviously, they're not going to be willing to go into luxury tax with the, the nature of this team. So obviously that's going to be a prohibitive factor for Spencer Dinwiddie and the Nets uh, have been flirting with it. Obviously, they've gotten under it after offloading Joe Harris. So that helps him a little bit. It helped him with the Cam Johnson extension. If you know, Spencer Dimwini is one, is going to be interesting. You know, the, He's on right now around sort of 20 million dollars per annum i could see that sort of happening again for another three or four years because he's a a fringe starter decent enough starter really good sort of bench player and you pay sort of 20 million dollars for those sort of players that sort of but then with the rising cap maybe that number gets a little bit higher so i don't know i think the the number and the years uh, attached will matter i think it's going to be about as well you know Spencer Dinwiddie himself said, you know, when was speaking to Nets press on on their podcast, that you know the off season isn't over yet, and you know there's the Tyler Hero stuff, the Damian Lillard stuff. So, you know, how does Spencer Dinwiddie status affect that? You know, if you can re-sign Dinwiddie. While still maintaining flexibility and using him as an asset in a possible star deal, because when I've been listening to a lot of general NBA pods in this offseason speaking about just the Nets overall, they're like, Where are the Nets? Are they star hunting? Are they building to to get that star? Uh, because, you know, Sp- Mikhail Bridges is, is heading towards, you know, his aging sort of status, where it's just like, Can you really continue to build around him? He's going to get a contract extension at some point. So I think Spencer Dimworthy as an asset as well as a player you know the the contract stuff i think should work itself out i think that there's goodwill on both sides spencer is probably when all is said and done going to be remembered as a brooklyn Nets. so it'll be intriguing to see how it does pan out but i think it's it's probably a slower play if you're sean marks in the front office
1: yeah i think also it could be dictated by how he fits this season you know how he gets along with the other guys you know do they see a long-term fit or do they also just look to move him at the trade deadline? And like you mentioned, like he mentioned, you know, he could be traded in the next month, you know, much as we know, maybe a Damian Lillard trade goes down and Tyler Hero's heading to Brooklyn. Spencer's going somewhere else, or there's another trade that pops up. There's a lot of different avenues. And in my opinion, you know, the way the NBA has been kind of trending, you don't necessarily need cap space to sign a star. It seems like stars have moved a lot more in, via trade rather than free agency signing. So that could be something to kind of look at moving forward too.
2: Yeah, obviously, you know, with ru- semi-rumors around Donovan Mitchell, there's Anthony Edwards, Luka Doncic, all these guys, little murmurings here and there, probably you know, Carl Anthony Towns. There's just murmurings. A uh, uh, plenty and teams hear but, them and the teams you know, that... that they
1: play for hear them too and they don't want to lose a guy for nothing. You know the Donovan Mitchell hype is real because Cleveland traded so much for him they can't allow to allow him to walk for nothing. So it's just yeah. kind of one of those scenarios where just star coming via trade seems a lot more likely than via free agency. The KD Kyrie thing was, you know, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, but a very very rare event for especially to happen again to a franchise
2: yeah it, it's it's just the, the the new way of the the current nba landscape in terms of how teams are constructed it's you know how that affects the it's going forward with all the contracts that they have and are they willing to go star hunting where are they going to put their all their chips in for just a little quick one because i saw this via nets wire and, and bleacher report you know relating to the guard status we've discussed this guy a little bit you know it felt like a couple of months ago when the offseason was beginning around trey young you know we, we discussed donovan mitchell a little bit. You know, would you consider a move at all for, for Trey Young it feels like for me i'd rather you know, he would almost be lower on the pecking list when you consider the likes of Donovan Mitchell even DeJounte Murray his teammate i like that contract a lot better i also like his fit a lot better and i, I don't know i just i feel that Trey Young being brought up as a as a trade chip i on, honestly don't see him Atlanta wanting to move him but i think in the net system just stylistically i think he'd fit pretty bloody well but at the same time, you got to be probably, Atlanta's going to be asking for, for the kitchen sink and then some.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think obviously kind of similar to the Spencer saying it all depends on the details, the context of the situation or what the trade is, but you know, Trey is a true offensive engine. You know, he's a guy that can really lead an offense and carry an offense. And if you give him good pieces around him, he can be really successful. So I think you have to be open to that trade because similar to different stars we've discussed in the past, you land Trey young, you know, maybe somebody else wants to come play with him. And obviously he is very ball heavy. You know, he dominates the ball and he can be better as an off ball player, but he does create for others, you know, the great passer sets up his teammates and, you know, the other question is him defensively. But I think in the position the Nets are, you know, I think they have to be open to the idea of adding a player like Trey Young.
2: Yeah. I think for me, the, the Nets seem to be holding their cards close to their chest in terms of who they're wanting to go all in for. You know, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, you know, less likely Anthony Edwards, Luka Doncic, these sort of guys. You know, it when you do go all in, you know, you got to like really sort of build the foundation in the franchise around. The sort of star that you do have, and is Trey on that guy, you know. Heard things behind the scenes about you know the personality sort of stuff. The Nets weren't the biggest fan of you know Kyrie and KD and the sort of superstar personalities that they have Trey young has had his issues in atlanta with with coaches and and the like so is Trey young going to be willing to fit into that sort of scenario into the net sort of scenario where the foundation is you know Mikhail bridges sort of leading things and sort of you know low key low maintenance all that sort of stuff when it comes to superstars Trae Young might not be that but he, yeah he's a bloody talented nba player but any final thoughts on that nick before we move to an egregious ranking of our boy clack city
1: no, let's move to Clax.
2: Okay, now well, let's move to the 29th ranked NBA center, Nick. It's it's something that I think is one of the 29th ridiculous- ranked
1: big to to at least give him something, but still terrible.
2: Okay, so I just want to go through this. I want to like throw a name at because the names ahead of Nick Claxton, and you can just tell me if Nick Claxton is better than them. I think there's some pretty obvious answers here. Let's go to 28. John Collins is John Collins. Is Nick Claxton better than John Collins, Nick? He is definitely better than John Collins, a guy that
1: the Hawks have been trying to move for literal seasons. They finally did this offseason. And, you know, we know Clax has been on the trade block before and teams were willing to offer a first round pick. So I think that's clear by our opinion, but also clear by other NBA front offices.
2: It's 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 egregious. Yeah, This is the egregious podcast, egregious Brooklyn buzz. I'll go to the next name. Robert Williams.
1: I think Clax is better than Robert Williams. You know, Williams maybe has had some better flashes than stints, but he cannot stay on the floor. And he was not even starting for the Celtics last year. I think Clax clearly would start on that team or have a bigger role and has shown an ability to be more durable at this point in time. You know, obviously not a huge sample uh, size for either team, but I think Clax really made major progress last year.
2: Walker Kesla. I think he's better
1: than Walker Kessler, too. I was surprised on that one. Uh, Just obviously, Kessler had a great season, you know, really impressed a lot of people. But I think you look at Claxton, he can provide as much offensively, if not more. And I think defensively, he provides, you know, the rim protection that Kessler provides, but also is one of the best mobile bigs in the NBA, if not arguably the best going to next season.
2: Jabari Smith Jr. Like, are we really. And Jabari, Jabari Smith Fitzgerald. Jr. was terrible to start last year. He was year. awful. Yeah. He was like one of the worst. Like he had a good summer league and suddenly he's like. He was good post-All-Star break,
1: but not enough. Like his sample size is not big enough to go against Clack. So another one where Clax, I think, is clearly
2: better. Look, we're now it's maybe into territory where you can make an argument for the opposing player, but I still think I'm sticking with my boy Clack City over a guy like Alperin Shengun.
1: Yeah, I think this is an inter- interesting conversation. This is clearly offense versus defense. You know, Klax is providing you substantially more uh, defensively, but offensively, Sangoon is Shangoon is one of the best, you know, in ascending player. So I can see the argument there, but also there were times last year where he's not finishing in the fourth quarter for the Rockets. And Klax, obviously, there was a few games where he didn't necessarily finish the Nets when small ball, but for most of the time, you know, Klax was closing games.
2: Yeah, I think at the big man position, I want a reliable big man that's going to be out there, you really sort of solidifying the defensive end of the floor. And Nick Claxton is, you know, pretty close to the embodiment of that. Let's go to twenty-three, Nikola Vucevic.
1: Yeah, I thought Vucevic wasn't necessarily great. You know, wasn't on a good team last year. You know, defensively, he's definitely improved to where he is now compared to early in his career. But offensively, he's been somewhat inconsistent. I think there's an argument here if you know you're looking for a little bit more on offense. But obviously, defense is a clear downgrade. So I think there's now we're getting into a range where there's arguments, kind of depending on your stylistic view on basketball.
2: Yeah, we'll go to a couple more names before we you know, talk about Nick Cla- uh, Nick Clarkson's future in general. I'll just throw you know t- uh, the rest of the sort of 20s and late teens at you, Nick. You know, brooke Lopez, Chet Holmgren. I think that's just a dumb ranking. Aaron yeah, Gordon. Do you, I don't know how t- you
1: rate rank him, and he hasn't played an NBA minute
2: yet. I don't get it either. Jared Allen. I don't know how Jared Allen. Like Jared Allen was pretty good last year defensively, but was egregiously bad in in the, the in the playoffs. And like, that's all
1: that really matters. I mean, he was terrible, and we love Jared Allen, and you know he was good for the Nets and developed nicely. But I think Clax clearly surpassed him. You know, what does Jared Allen really do better than Clax? You know, play better you know maybe rim protection and rebounding but offensively we saw more versatility from Clax at an earlier age than we saw from Jared Allen
2: I think he can get as high as like in terms of the range for him. I think the range is more 15 to sort of 23, 24 Nick, because Victor Wembanyama hasn't played a game. I, I think that's just a, a weird ranking. Rudy Gobert, I thought Nick Claxton was better than Rudy Gobert last season. Miles turn I think is is on a, on a very similar sort of range. And then Julius Randle at 15. I think that's probably where you look at I don't know how DeAndre Aiden's rated 14. But in, in saying that, I think the range of Nick Claxton he should be you know minimum five spots higher, if not maybe even 10.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 15 to 20. And you could see him ascend higher, you know, based off of what we saw last year, I think 15 to 20 is a pretty safe range for him. But if, you know, we heard some of the hype from Spencer Dinwiddie and different guys across the league. And, you know, if he takes those jumps offensively, now he's approaching that 10 to 15 range with even more potential growing forward, because he is young. And we've talked about before, he missed a lot of NBA time due to injuries.
2: Yeah, and I think Nick Claxton's future, Nick, in terms of contractually, is an interesting one because his deal is obviously very friendly, but it also, that doesn't allow the Nets to extend him because of the nature of the deal. Now, is there a scenario where you could see, we discussed this a little bit on when Cam Johnson was re-signed, you got Mikael, you're at Cam, you're at Clax, you know, all those guys making $20 million plus. Would you be comfortable with that in the the new new nature of the the current NBA and the current salary cap landscape
1: you know I think it's possible to make it work but it also gets to a situation where you know who is Mikel Bridges is Mikel Bridges the second best player in a championship team if he is now that gives you a little bit more flexibility because you know if you're getting that true number one option he's not on this team and he's probably making you know 50 or 60 million dollars so that's going to also impact your cap and how you can make things work but I think in the scenario of, you know, you were able to sign him on a deal, you know, I guess similar to Cam Johnson, you'd feel pretty good about that. But there's also a chance he could demand more if he continues to ascend at the rate he's ascending. So I think at the end of the day, you definitely, you know, re-sign Klax if he wants to be back. And you go from there and try to decide, you know, who do we value more? Is it Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, you know, blah, blah, blah. What are the the other trades available on the table? Who has to be a chip in that superstar trade? So, again, kind of similar to the Spencer Dillity situation. You don't lose a player for nothing if you don't have to. You know, if Clax decides, hey, I want to be out, I want to go play with one of, you know, the old net superstars and he goes to Phoenix or something like that good for him but if not you know if he wants to be in brooklyn he wants to grow here i think you look to resign him and bring him back in the fold
2: yeah hard to imagine clark city not in an nets uniform
1: yeah and i think again kind of similar to what we talked about with the stars nba teams know what's up and they'll probably start to hear rumors and rumblings about him wanting to leave brooklyn If that was the case then they'll probably look to move him at the deadline if they feel confident he's going to resign they won't even entertain offers
2: any final thoughts nick
1: No, I think that's about it. You know, as we talked about, kind of things are starting to heat up for the NBA season. We're getting into real content soon. And as always, Jack, a pleasure. And big thanks, everybody, for listening.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.